right, thank you for listening, and welcome to season two of She Did What? This is a women's history podcast that has told the stories of women whose accomplishments have been brushed over or completely silenced by individuals and entire institutions and organizations. Today's episode is about a woman who was resilient in her demand for an education and fought for the same access to resources that was offered to men of the same class and opportunity. During the birth of revolutionary activity and thought in France against the monarchy, Sophie Germain had the same correspondence and mentorship as those who would become known as fathers of mathematics. This opportunity was not offered to a majority of Germain's contemporaries, as she was born with great privileges afforded to her. Even after becoming the first woman to be awarded from the Paris Academy of Sciences for her theory on elasticity, she would never gain the notoriety she deserved, nor was she accepted into any of the schools that benefited from her work. Today, we have Marta joining us. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Me, everyone. listeners. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, uh, Marta and I actually met at a fundraiser that we were both producers for benefiting the Women's Audio Mission, which is located in the Mission, woot woot, Women in Audio. Marta lives in Oakland and is a producer working in San Francisco. Thank you so much for sharing this episode with us. Yes, I'm actually extremely happy to be here. I was very excited to read up on our girl, Sophie Germain. And equally as upset sometimes? Yes, absolutely. We had a lot of interesting texting conversations over this past couple of weeks. (laughs) There's a little bit of outrage that comes into, (laughs) you know, when you read about history and definitely women's role. Non-existent role. Yeah, I was going to say lack of uh, acknowledgement. Yeah, because they were definitely there. Yeah, we make up half the population. Ugh, you'd never know. Uh, Yeah. You'd never know. You'd never know that. Oh my gosh, we're going to go on a tangent at the end of the episode because there's it's, there's too much about women in enlightenment for Sophie's story. She would kind of get lost in it. This meant a lot to both of us, I think. And it, what did you learn from this? Or It's really interesting. I just think the reason why it's so important to tell Jermaine's story today is because it's a common one throughout history. The idea that women are uninterested in math or science or engineering is false because the truth is women have been (laughs) excluded. So during the French Revolution, which of course is sparked by the ideas formulated during the Enlightenment, these same newfound freedoms were only offered and enjoyed by men. Unfortunately, there is not enough bandwidth here to discuss the women's thwarted liberation movement, but Sophie Germain's story is a great excerpt to use as an example. So when we first started looking up a person for this episode, it kind of started with us being interested in like women in sound or women in engineering or producing or like electronic music. I think we saw a couple, but then Sophie's like main, main discovery was about elasticity which ended up being like sound vibrations right and then was it wikipedia yes that was like women didn't participate do you remember that wording which was like no no they were there right so it's it's interesting that history writes it as women being uninterested right which is kind of to this day like that's kind of the same argument you hear right so reading up on sophie and then kind of connecting with the times, 
We went hard it on just, the enlightenment. Yeah, it we goes went hard, hard on the enlightenment and how it just wasn't beneficial for women. It's crazy, but it's like the birth of thought. It's, I can't get over that. It's crazy. It's crazy that we associate enlightenment with positivity and great, beautiful, philosophical things that came about it. Mm-hmm. There's also an entire opposite side of it where it just didn't benefit half the population. Half the population. <laughs> All right. Sophie Germain was born in Paris, France, April 1st, 1776. And her story takes place during the beginning of revolutionary activity in France. Sophie's father was a representative of the bourgeoisie to the Estates General. Later, he was involved with the Constitutional Assembly, which is credited to have started the revolution. It's been said Sophie was exposed to the political and philosophical viewpoints because of her father's involvement in politics. And this is the case for generations of thinkers, mathematicians, philosophers, and those of the like. Uh, their parents were involved in politics in some way or another, kind of how you see it now. If your parents are educated, you're more likely to be educated on certain things. But if you were a woman... I didn't want you to be. Yeah, it was different. (laughs) Here's a little backstory on France during the 18th century, what's expected in the everyday life. You had philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was a well-known, sort of controversial philosopher that made strong contributions and inspired the French Revolution through his published work. One of them being Emile, published in 1762, almost 30 years before the Revolution. So keep in mind, this is what the revolutionaries are reading and basing their enlightenment on. So Jean-Jacques Rousseau writes Emile, and he uh, is actually criticized because he talks about religion and also expresses his thoughts on women and their role in society and the importance of educating and raising the men in the family. The idea being women should be at home breastfeeding, which he actually mentions, you know, because you know, a guy should tell knows a what woman that, yeah. what to do with their body. And he also mentions that women are good for raising and educating their children. Rousseau and most men of the 18th century wanted women to have the right to an education, but only to play the domestic role, not politics. So even during the women's liberation movement within the Enlightenment, there was a prioritization of education over the right to vote. Like, even when the men were running around complaining about monarchy and not having freedom, Women knew that they had to choose which freedoms they wanted in this new restructuring. Cool. Right. (laughs) Fair. Awesome. No, not at all. Sick. So they can be educated, yet still can't vote. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, women at this point are seen as mothers, wives, and baby makers. But that's it. The book even suggests that male sons should have more freedom and given more opportunities solely based on their gender i love the like pure hatred in your tone like like, (laughs) you have to keep it monotone to keep the screaming up i love it trying so even ideas behind divorce would pivot back and forth it was outlawed before the revolution then allowed in 1792 with a push for the sexual liberation of women on education and then abolished again under Napoleon in 1814, which is right around the time Sophie starts making big moves, only to be reestablished by the end of the 19th century. So to be clear, I think in like 100 years, that was four times they flip-flopped. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what to do with us. Right. But they're exactly. making decisions for yeah. us. 
The philosophical ideology was at a rise, but it still encouraged teaching women to be entirely subordinate and dependent on their husbands. So just to give you an idea, this is Paris, France at the turn of the 19th century. A time for enlightenment, a time for curiosity. Change was coming. Liberty, equality. Well, for men at least. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Prior to the revolution and the enlightenment, you had the three estates, which ran the French government since the early 1300s. You had the first estate, which is the church, clergy, royalty, and then the second estate, the nobles, the knights, middle class, you know, your lawyers, your government officials. And then you had the third estate, which is the working class, the commoners, the rest of us. (laughs) Just to give you a little backstory, France at this point is suffering from food shortages. The majority aren't getting paid enough. France is also in debt thanks to funding the American Revolution. Thanks. But the church and clergy didn't pay taxes at this point. All while the king isn't making any moves to improve the lives of French citizens. The men in the first two estates mentioned were involved in politics at this time, so they were considering mathematics, science, physics, all which would lead to modern-day political science. The educational institutions within the first two estates were considered closed off to the general public until the beginning of revolutionary activity. In the late 1700s, the first estate was made up of the most elite, who were the church, who were given access to education, not paying taxes at this point, and disregarding a crumbling France. The king could not ignore the rising concerns of its impoverished citizens, and in 1789, it prompted the formation of the National Assembly, which was made up of the disgruntled Third Estate and its desire for more freedom. Sophie is growing up around the time when the stronghold on education is being opened up to the public, changing authority and power dynamics within education institutions and allowing more access. This is when you start to see the political power shift from sacred clergy to a more secular public. Some of the first moves that the first nationally, National Assembly makes is to start selling off land that was previously held by the Catholic Church. It was given to them for free, like they didn't have to pay taxes, which would make the church in turn condemn the assembly after initially supporting it. Yeah. Keep in mind when talking about education, it's the same royals who want to suppress the access to an education for all French citizens. Excuse me, all male French citizens. Remember, not all of them. Not all all of them. (laughs) Don't even bring up women's rights. Oh, boy. So when they tried to meet after the group started its momentum and after the first estate it shared its concerns, in quotations, they were locked out of their meeting hall and instead they moved everyone to some tennis courts. They did as revolutionaries do, and in 1789, they signed the Tennis Court Oath, which was that no one would disband from the group until a constitution was written for a more liberated France, for the men. While a new constitution was being drafted and decided upon, adjacently classed women and minorities were demanding the same equality and access to those opportunities. They wanted to take advantage of the new education that the revolutionaries were literally fighting for. That's right. (laughs) So, you know, that's slowly how the French Revolution unfolds. Yes. And we're going to take a little mental break here, and we'll come back with Sophie's life. Welcome to the Modern Figures podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Wason. I'm Dr. Kyla McMillan. And co-hosted by regular contributor, 
Dr. Jeffrey and Wilder. Hey, hey. Hey. The Modern Figures Podcast exists to elevate the voices of Black women in computing and inspire the next generation of Black female coders. The reason we're here is to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel some of the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Bye. Bye. Really? <laughs> I don't need an echo. <laughs> We're going to spit them up next time. Next time Hello, and welcome to the Bechdel Cast. Yay! I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Durante. I'm another of your hosts, and the last one, Jamie Loftus. <laughs> and it's just the two of us. It's just the two of and us. And we have a podcast, and it's called the Bechdel Cast. Oh, no, we already said that. Oh, uh, shit. What, what is it? What is it? Well, we'll tell you. The Bechdel Cast is inspired by the Bechdel Test. Who is that? Allison uh, Bechdel? Allison Bechdel. You're much better at this than I am, so you tell us what it, the test is. Oh, thank you. Uh, so the Bechdel Test is a pretty simple analysis of how women are treated in the context of a film. The basic rules are that a film that passes the Bechdel Test will have two women talking about something other than a man in a scene preferably with names, depending mm -hmm. on which version of the Bechdel test you're using. Right. Yeah, so check us out. Bye! Bye. All right, so all of this is right before the turn of the 19th century, and we're in Paris. The Paris Academy was the highest regarded aristocratic scientific community in Europe and was restructured during this time in order to introduce a new and more public option for education in Paris, which is... The École Polytechnique. So we're getting into education here. So in 1793, the academies of science are shut down, restructured, and reopened in 1795 to offer more public access. École Polytechnique is where researchers are also instructors like Lagrange, Legendre, Gauss, Poisson, who are the male counterparts to Sophie's contributions to École Polytechnique and the scientific community as a whole. Science boosts up the military, and that's why the French Academy of Science was brought back. The French government realized that science and military go hand in hand. It was scientists' resourcefulness in finding and extracting salt pepper for use in making gunpowder. They had research into steelmaking, munitions, copper. Um, some of these mathematicians are coming up with, you know, determining curving cannonballs and bombs. It's no secret. The French Academy was under the government funding, and they reported back to them any new scientific findings. They're using science to benefit the military. <laughs> but do these new educational institutions admit women? No. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> like, idiot. Under a new free republic, women couldn't go to college. College. There's a whole new educational institution that would become... The most prestigious in the Western world, this is Ecole, having counterparts in Berlin and St. Petersburg, all for the purpose of opening education to the public, and women still weren't allowed to be admitted. No. No. Just shakes head in silence. Uh, Single some, tear. Yeah, I know. Something to keep in mind that's actually really interesting is Sophie was 18 when Ecole Polytechnique opened, so... Right. She should have been able to go Literally, there. like, oh, sweet. New Republic bangs on door. Cool. Oh, no, you still have a vagina. Yeah, it's like, I'm here Idiot. for my education. Idiot. Everything else checks out. So that's education for you. Related to Sophie Germain, whose story takes place during this time of enlightenment, it did not improve the lives for her or any women in the 19th century. Sophie was destined to have the same fate that had fallen to so many women before and after her. 
So you can imagine how outrageous it was for a 14-year-old to be reading up on mathematicians and scientific theories when at the same time you had someone like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who's a well-known philosopher, spewing masculinity ideals, which at the time people already did follow and actually agreed with. This was the French norm. With the French Revolution in full swing and the fall of Bastille to follow, blood being shed left and right, what does that mean for a curious 13-year-old? Well, it means staying indoors. And a lot. Yeah, while indoors, she's reading a lot in her father's library. She's intrigued by the life of Archimedes, an infamous Greek philosopher and mathematician. This might be a romanticized version of her secluded studies, but there are definitely some parallels between Germain's life and Archimedes. He was not known during his lifetime to be the philosopher and thinker that he's known for today. But his works and thoughts and the majority of his writings um, became widely known after his death. She also went on to continue to teach herself Greek and Latin in order to read the works of Sir Isaac Newton and Leonard Euler, who was a generation ahead of her and her contemporaries in theories that would lead to arithmetic and algebra as we know it today, not to mention the contest of her Paris Award winning submission. Uh, so I guess to say that by now she's already reading up on guys that she would correspond to. Yeah, or it's, about. It's, it's interesting. A lot of these mathematicians that are the fathers, <laughs> some of them are her age. Most of them she corresponded with. So isn't she also a mathematician? Right. It's just like, she, it's not like she didn't know any of this until E. coli was established. Right. You know? She was... Took initiative. And gave herself the same education that any other privileged white person had at right. that moment in time because their fathers were like had libraries exactly Ugh. Ugh. her father was in politics her father was a part of the revolutionary movement in a certain way but because she was a female again nothing goes to her it's been said Archimedes was killed by a Roman soldier because he declined to meet with a general to continue working on a mathematical equation. Sophie was intrigued about someone loving something so much they'd die for it. Her parents discover this and do everything in their power to keep her away and almost punishing her for reading about these scientists and mathematicians. This is not the mentality of the French society at this time, not what a girl should be interested in. They went as far as to remove all her clothes, reading lamp, and access to books altogether. Eventually, her parents realized this is not just a phase, and because times are a-changing, they were more content in supporting her as she got older, including financially. You know, something I just realized is they never had boys. So doesn't it actually seem weird that the father wouldn't want someone in his family to, like, become a great, like, thinker? Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think it's really interesting that she's one of three daughters, right. and as a 13-year-old, he didn't support her, but as an 18-year-old, right, they maybe. were full-on, you know, Because at that board, point, right. Because at that point, those were the changes that were I wonder about. if he would have wished for her to marry into a more prestigious family then. Yeah. Crazy. I think... Yeah he probably would have wanted what was best for her and like to make sure she was okay which is that financial thing we were talking about right earlier. crazy right though because yeah. like she didn't he didn't have 
sons. So at what point is it like, I want one of my offspring to do something good? I know. But then it's like he probably wanted that to be her marrying into exactly. nobility or something. And, and still being behind a man. Right. Crazy. Huh. Yeah. Ooh. It's like one of those things that's like, duh, never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was uh, like her parents while she was a teenager. It's the fall of Bastille, bloody in the streets. She's in the library, hiding. Not publicly allowed to read, though. But she's learning things. <laughs> yeah. She's teaching herself things. She's in her not dark letting closet. It, she's Ugh. not letting anything get in her way from learning about these famous... And Greek and Latin and stuff. Exactly. In 1794, now Sophie's 18 years old. As Marta mentioned, the Ecole was reopened. It would be time for her to naturally go to school. She is granted permission from Polytechnique to obtain and read lecture notes, obtain and read lecture notes from the classes that she was not permitted to attend. It's like, I can't say this without laughing. These lecture notes were acquired for her by La Gendre, who she had been corresponding to in response to some publications he had made about number theory, showing interest in his works on elasticity as well, which would become a theme in a little bit for Sophie's story. Yes. It's funny. She begins a correspondence with Legendre. So he's actually seen as her mentor. mentor. I'm who who is literally just her male access to these things. Exactly. It's crazy. At the age of 22, using the pseudonym M. Leblanc, she writes to mathematician Legendre on his theory of analysis, offering her own ideas and possible solutions to unanswered questions. Legendre is so impressed, and when he asks for them to meet, she has no choice but to expose herself as a woman. Gasp! Gasp. Legendre isn't bothered by this, and they form a bond and begin to collaborate. Germain submits problems she found in his work on the number theory. Legendre makes a second submission on his number theory, which included Germain's contribution. So at least she's uh, beginning to get credit for some notoriety. Yeah. All this research she's been doing up until now, and she's 22. Right, which is like she's in four years in this in this circle, at least. Um, as mentioned, she is credited in this work, but not named apart from just like being in the footnotes. So yes, she is on paper with these theories, but there's just nobody saying yet like, Oh, maybe she should go to fucking college. Also. Like, what the fuck? Keep in mind, he did not credit her as Sophie. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. She still is undercover. Right, when right, she right. corresponds with others. Right. Ooh. Oof. So How good. did that feel? Right? Lajandre and his colleagues are building on and also financially betting from their publications. This is free labor. As mentioned before, many scientific assistants and researchers understand this. Sophie Germain has been following, participating, and striving for the same notoriety and patronage provided to some other revolutionary figures. Now, it is not only her mentors and older thought leaders in correspondence with Germain during her quest for equality and really equity during this time. Now enters a guy named Poisson. And he is a slippery little fish. Poisson is 18 at this time, remembering Germaine is 22 and has already submitted ideas that were being published in her mentor's works. However, Legendre recommends Poisson for a deputy professor at Polytechnique, which he accepts. Legendre at this point is still actively writing Germaine, 
and using her research but not offering her this access to acknowledgement and employment for the work she's proven, Poisson becomes a full professor a year later and an educator the rest of his life. It's so crazy. One thing that really bothered me while doing my research is just learning about the bromance of it all. Right. All these guys are so connected, so very well connected. They're all in the scientific community. They're literally just allowed to like walk the halls. Yes. It's it's interesting. And in 1800, the Gendre, who actually recommends Poisson to have his work published on Requil de Savants Estrangers, an outstanding honor for a youth of 18. Yeah, I butchered that. I, I was going to say, that's been a really fun couple of weeks. Us, <laughs> us trying to read French these French words. <laughs> For me, what's interesting is that he can recommend Poisson, but not Germaine. Right. Even though she is equally impressive, and you've already used her work. At this point, Germaine is 24, Poisson is 19. So they all know each other, yet she's not given these opportunities that these other men are being given when they're doing the same work. They're doing the same work, and also we mentioned at the top of the episode, she is a wealthy educated person like she has there's nothing other than her sex she's not a poor woman she's not a woman of color like literally if she had a pp exactly because the revolution the time of enlightenment it was also the rise of the middle class and sophie was a part of that middle class where they were the ones that wanted to be more inclusive that's what they were fighting for. And something that's a little off kilter here, but worth mentioning, like some of these mentors, one of them came from Italy and would literally bring these same resources that like Sophie was getting. He was bringing that shit back to Italy. You're bringing shit to other countries and can't let this girl who's literally next door. It's just that bro thing you're talking it's, about. I it's think. the bro thing. It's about let's share the wealth. For men. For men. For men. It can be someone assumed that as mentioned, she needed people to get her these resources, so she branched out. And when a man her age, Gauss, published work on numbers, she wrote him with an interest, as she did Legendre again. Her theories were not responded on specifically, but were not denounced either, and possibly gave more stepping stones to the acclaimed mathematician to build on and publish more content. As we know, Sophie Germain is the first woman to win the Paris Award. And the story is almost as gut-wrenching as the lack of opportunity she was given that most would gain from winning a prestigious prize like this. Get ready. Hold on to your butts. Mm -hmm. So to begin, when the award was first announced in 1808, the subject of elasticity was thought to be so difficult to prove that the applicants came down to two candidates. Who are the two? Uh, Germaine and Poisson. So the contest became even more narrow when Poisson was elected to join the academy because that's what they did here. You were a great scientist and you were asked to join the academy. That was like the height of your career. And it's also the natural trajectory. Yes. You know what I mean? Like these guys aren't doing this to not get that. Exactly. The point of these, you know, Paris Academy Award, it's to win a prize, but it's also to gain more knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's the competition. Whatever. Poisson was elected to join the Academy and had to resign. So Germain was now the only applicant to be able to enter. This meant that a former contestant and a professor of polytechnique where Germain couldn't go could now openly and freely read her theories and her ideas on elasticity. 
which would prove curious when Poisson starts publishing similar works before the award was announced. What is just so enraging, really, is that she submits and doesn't win the prize, but in real time, publications about elasticity, and we've already mentioned that she was corresponding with these homies like a while ago, they're submitting papers that are being considered to be like the works on elasticity. And something I found out from the um, some writing, those papers that she submitted were held within the academy and were not allowed to really be made public without their consent until 1880. Oh boy. Okay. Because we were talking like, how could nobody know? And literally she would submit shit and didn't have the money to publish. And there was just all these dudes that are like, I want the power. They didn't have to release any of it. No. So until she could afford to publish this stuff on her own, nobody else would know. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Crazy. So, so what this means is that all her publications were really only accessible through the academy. Right. For the academy. And then. And only within <laughs> professorship, too. Right. Because not like those students that are now learning from Poisson, who thinks he's the inventor, they don't know. They don't even know. And that's what Poisson was kind of famous for. Like, right. you know, not he, giving credit where credit is due. So that's kind of a silver lining. He does eventually get, like, critiqued by his contemporaries, but... It's it's kind of interesting. I think it was a very competitive field, as are many, but to be one of the great mathematicians, you wanted to be the best. You wanted to be the first. You wanted to be the one that came up with the newest theories, and it was a very competitive field that Sophie should have been a part of. They didn't put her in the running. Right. And you're right that she wasn't because there's something like it's super important that she wasn't in those rooms while they're having discussions together. She's one step behind. Right, right. Every day. Right. Every time. But every not because theory. of her own accord. Exactly. Right. All right. So she doesn't win the first award, but publications are being put out there. In eighteen eleven she didn't win the second round either. <laughs> she was the only one to enter. Yeah. But because of her education being one step behind, you know, her her theories were already being disproved. Oh, right. So entering them. Right. So what we were talking about is just the whole, if she's not in the classroom, she doesn't know the actual equations. She understands the theories. Right. Because there's a difference between having a theory published and having the solution published. All the theories are there. Yeah. The other guys built off her theories, but she didn't have the one plus one equals two. Right. So Jermaine had been corresponding with all these math mathematicians for at least a decade up to this point. But once her crafted theories were given to Lajondre, he stopped responding, leading her again, having to correspond with men to gain this access. She breaks her 10 year silence uh, with Gauss, who was her age. Again, She's the only one to submit in 1815, and Sophie finally wins the Paris Award for her submission on the theory of elasticity. She takes a theorem which nobody attempted to prove in the last 200 years, which in turn is why she's finally awarded. These awards came with money, so they're important to win and keep submitting. If a man had won the prize, <laughs> he would have been showered in gold with an invitation to the prestigious Paris Academy. But... Unlike all before her, Sophie Germain was still not admitted to attend courses at the Paris Academy. 
regardless of a proven skill in mathematics and sciences. So to be clear, we're now a solid 10 years, 15 years after she started getting her reading materials. Yeah, her male counterparts like Goss and Poisson, who are the ones closest to her age by years apart, they've now won awards and are part of the French Academy of Science. And also not, it's kind of hard mentioning this in passing, but Gauss for sure like had a family. Yes. Which as we know is very hard to do if you don't have financial stability. Right. Or like employment stability. Not to say Sophie wanted it, but just saying. Yeah. Just, just, just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Throwing that into the wind. So keep in mind, all her male counterparts are being awarded, joining academies, making some money. I was going to say. Doing their thing. And she wins the award. Still can't go to class. Still isn't permitted. And gets nothing from it. They say, here's your brick of gold and a gold right. star. Good job. And it's like she gets the prize money. But we all also kind of understand that like it's not just about the money. No. So it's no surprise that she did not attend the award ceremony. I sure would not have. Yeah, no. It can be assumed, but it's worth discussing that all of these theories, writings, and ideas in general were taken into consideration and considered revolutionary at the time, but without a proper face or a proper name. In addition to elasticity, she also would later have her theory of prime numbers, which would later become known as Sophie Germain's prime number theorem, and is considered important and relevant to this day. Sophie Germain, man. Like, her life, it's like, she did all these things. I know we talk a lot. We talked a lot over these past weeks about like how exactly these things are covered up. Because even within the between the men, there's like infighting. So Martin and I talked a lot about like more than gender. Like there's just this like power struggle of like, well, I want to be the author. It's interesting because I think everyone wants to be credited or acknowledged, acknowledged yeah. for their hard work or their input. Right. It's very hard to find writings and memos on and about Germain at this time in regards to École Polytechnique and her life, but Marta found this really awesome resource of essays that describes the unearthing of Germain's accomplishments and why a whole faction of mathematicians were unnamed during this period. These essays are a deeper dive into the history told by publishers that wasn't necessarily accurate. A great resource for our research on Sophie and also to understand the relationships between her and these professors. So there's like a little excerpt and Marta had read these and I kind of followed up later. I didn't read them right away. And so I was like texting her. I was like, oh my God, this one sentence mm -hmm. is great. Or like these couple sentences. This is from an excerpt. I mean, it really just kind of describes how historians that were like picking and choosing who to feature in these history books that we would learn like all the drama and the gossip and just like who ended up getting to publish really matters for that so in here it says apparently ingenuity of theory rigor of analysis and clarity of experimental evidence were not the only determinants of progress in the sciences rather science like every other endeavor was rooted in human lives and in the interplay between people and institutions. The hegemony of the molecular mentality at this time had as much connection to Laplace's position of power and authority within the scientific community as to its utility in explaining diverse phenomena. This explains the power and political misunderstanding, really, of history 
based on say networking or like connections to publishing or publishers really and just general acknowledgement given where it's due and when it wasn't given when it was due yes it has a lot more to do than just picking and choosing who you want to right it is really a power because it's like if your country's known for doing this you're considered powerful yeah so you want those top heads of not that it's okay but like it's like oh right they're just like power hungry if we're talking about history you kind of want to just highlight the best parts of it right right or what you think they are which kind of makes sense until there's no women involved she absolutely contributed to the enlightenment and this new thought and the point i think that we started making once we realized how important she was was that she was there she was fighting to participate she never ever gave up she never gave up she passed away younger than her contemporaries and unfortunately also a lot of the kind of solidification of elasticity happened after she died after a certain point it was people that were like well she was there but then they were already written like the books were already written you know it's a theory all of these are theories meaning they're constantly being reworked the reason why it's important to tell Sophie's story is because she's one of the founders mm -hmm. of the revolution of freaking the number theory. And she is a perfect example of women not being involved in STEM. It's not that we've been involved for a while. It's at the birth of mathematics. Women were kept from institutions, like kept from education. It really, it hurts me to read about something like the French Revolution and to relearn it in a different way where you see how oppressed well, and that's... half of the population was, no matter, yep. and it solely being based on your gender. When we're supposed to, when we're told our whole lives that this is when people started being free. Right. You know, like that's what's important about it. You know, women at this time there were some improvements. They did feel a little more cooler in the sense where science was going over religion and, you know, right. that was kind of a cool thing. Like um, at least Sophie Germain could get these writings. So, in general, that wraps it up on Sophie Germain. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Marta and I do want to do like a little, we're going to rant a bit about women in enlightenment, but wanted to kind of let those exit who just wanted to learn about Sophie and yeah. move on. So thank you so much guys for listening to our story on Sophie Germain. Thank you, Marta, again. Thank you. So much research. This girl killed it. It was a lot of fun. It's so much fun. So she nerded out. I too. love Sophie and she is freaking awesome because she never gave up. And that's just something right. that is so cool to read about in this time because everybody else was totally following the Enlightenment. Right. Right. And so if we, we want to get into it right now. Let's talk about some women during yeah. this Enlightenment period. There was a li women's liberation movement. Yes. Like flat out. Yes. Women were like, like, what the hell? F like, that. Like, suffragette shit. F that. Ugh. I think it's really interesting to talk about who was in power right around the time of the French Revolution. My girl, Marie oh, Antoinette. Girl? So it's kind of funny because so you think about Marie Antoinette and what do you think of Kristen Dunst and the movies and I, how right, beautiful I think and colorful this life. And like, 
pop cult like i don't know what she would you say so like cool. dumb blonde dumb blonde like she just married into royalty and was like here to have a good ah. time and also i feel like we understood her as ignorant like willful ignorance of her status i do you know what i'm saying okay that she was like yes. oh, i'm just rich because yes. i'm rich yes i think she took advantage of being rich and was like look i mean she's a royal she's Marie Antoinette, who became the Queen of France, was born into Austrian royalty. Her education consisted of morality and religious studies. So even when you're high up there, you're still oh, teaching about more morals. So. Oh my God! You're still teaching about how to be, you know, the religious studies. Because guess what? You're gonna have to grow up and be a queen. You might be more oppressed as a rich woman than yeah. you are as a poor woman. Yeah. At 15, she's sent off to France to marry Louis the Sixteenth. Whatever. And Okay, keep in mind, I love this quote. is a political move. Right. This is a political move. Which it has been up to this point. Like most everything, of them, right? Yeah. Everything. Marie Antoinette, who's Austrian, Austria wanted to make peace with France because France right now is like about to go into war with everybody. I was going to say, you keep reminding Air me that body. they're like in war. Yeah, they but are. This is like still wartime. I kind of forget that. Oh my gosh, which is also why military and science, military and science. But we'll get there. Right. So at 15, she's sent off, goes to France, marries Louis the whatever. And then they're just supposed to run the country? These kids? Oh yeah, you... These kids you are supposed to run the country. Is there a metaphor and analogy when you're like, they are the millennials? They are the millennials so of good. the time because they were raised during the beginning of the Enlightenment period. So if you knew your family was just going to ship you off and have you go marry some whatever person anyway, right. I'd make the best out of it too. Right. I'd make the best out of it too. I'd invite all my homies. Let's party it up. I'm not even home. Right? I'm not even home. I'm not even home. I love it. No one's going to tell me. I'm not even in my country. You I'm know, here like, for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> Marie Antoinette. No, I'm saying. <laughs> That's unfortunately because her life. Right? Wait, wait, wait. What was the thing about... Oh, dude. What was the... What were you telling me about um, the crumbs? Okay. So, okay. so... March is coming through with some shit on this, man. Okay. This so women... So remember, Marie Antoinette... This is a political move which strengthened the alliance between the two countries, Austria and France, shipping her off. We're using women as a truce. <laughs> the woman is used as a truce here. I just hope that that's very clear. Oh, right, right. So Marie Antoinette goes over, rules France, and she's like, yeah, lavish this, lavish that, biggest necklace in the freaking crowd. Spends like... Spends all the money, and this is why the French... The third estate, you know, is like, hey, literally, what the like, hell is yeah. happening up there? Because Marie Antoinette's spending money left and right, having lavish parties. There's some crazy, doing hold on, I'm to the nines, to the nines. Her most famous line, let them eat cake. Cake is crumbs. Cake is scraps. Like, it means crumbs. It means scraps. Right. So, I was so saying. So, she said to her people. Right. Let them eat cake. Yeah, and I'm. I was like, no way, because I always consider myself like the layman's term person where I'm like, if I understand it this way, that's how most people understand it. You know what I mean? Like just from the history books. That's kind of a caveat to what I'm going to say. That's just my brain. But I was like, I always thought that to mean that Marie Antoinette was like, let them let them have it. 
so that they kind of changed her in a way to be like super docile and like that she didn't have any say and it wasn't up to her you know what I mean yeah and that she's like why do I get all this let them eat cake oh no she was like f them yeah she was saying f the people and like there's food shortages there's food oh my shortages. God, so her saying a comment right. like let them eat cake was a complete diss to her freaking country. Like well, they you know, in a way. She's raining. So yeah, I guess just other women, right, during this time. We got uh we have also got Mary Wol- so Wollstonecraft. In her book, A Vindication of the Rights of Women with Strictures on Political and Moral Subjects, she proclaimed that women were entitled to the same education as their male counterpart. Her point being if women are expected to raise the leaders of the future, then shouldn't we be getting the best right. education ourselves? And although Mary Wilsoncraft believed this to be true, she still didn't quite believe in equal rights as a, across the board, stating women's role was still best in the home as mothers and wives. So the majority of women in France did not question these thoughts during the Enlightenment period. Like we've mentioned, women sometimes take what they can get. And it's also like, when you're like a housewife that's uneducated and seeing your husband go, I don't even know what it was. Like in some cases, they're like, this guy fucking sucks and they can't divorce him. Yeah. So there's still like, you can't imagine being that woman. You can't imagine a world in which you're going off to college by yourself. You don't have to have kids when you're 15 or whatever. The mentality Ugh. is to. It's at least understandable that like. Get women, married. Right. Which they still wanted to do, but they want to go to college too. Like it'd be cool to know what their husbands are talking about. God forbid. So we realized that there were more women involved in the Enlightenment. Then we kind of started to say, you have to kind of dig deep and find out other women in the Enlightenment, right? Yeah. So when Wikipedia-ing, Wikipedia-ing? Wik- Wikipedia-ing. 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 When finding important figures of the Enlightenment, check it out. There are about 112 people listed like wikipedia will do their table and yes i'm going by wikipedia because again it's just like the basic knowledge of things right that's where we that start decided okay? okay we didn't get all our information from wikipedia just right, so you all well, know. right 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 just, just so for clear. this dumb example that is just so offensive so again there's 112 people listed how many women you know, how many women do you think uh, four women oh okay four women all right not even double digits there Oh my, not even one hand. <laughs> not oh even God. a handful. Not even Crap, a handful. Dude. All right, so first was Emilie de Chalet, again, sorry, whose commentary provided with her French translations of Newton's theories were praised during the Enlightenment. So just, again, another person who had a lot to do. But I will also say that of the four women, like this is someone that translated this stuff and like provided her theories as well but still it's not a germane like germane wasn't listed is my point when we just went over how she was in correspondence with the fathers and her theories would later be proven to be the most important but because she was written out of those publications it took however long to figure it out the second woman listed she's so cool the first woman in the world to head an academy of science in the world, whoop, whoop. which was in Russia. This is, oh my gosh, I forgot to pronounce this before. Let's go for it. Russian Yekaterina Vorostova Dashkova. Okay, let me try. <laughs> Yekaterina Vorostova Dashkova. Love it. 
So she also helped found the Russian Academy and is considered an important figure for Russia's Enlightenment period. So I will say that, like, historically it's known for being in France and Britain. But as we mentioned earlier, some of these people brought these writings to Italy, which was way more of a, I wouldn't say conservative government, but they went through their own shit, as well as Russia. So the third, we have Olympe de Gouges, de Gouges. Le, Olympe de Gouges, who expressed her political thoughts through her playwrights and activism. Um, what did she write? Let me see. She wrote a playwright. She wrote The Declaration of the Rights of Woman and of the Citizen, which is a play on the Declaration of the Rights of Man, right. which was actually written, asserting that women while different from men, also had the capacity of reason and moral decision-making. What a thought. While these men are in these groups writing their constitution, there's literally women, like, just holding it up. Don't forget about us. That's so crazy. That's what they were trying to say. She asserted that women had the right to free speech. Like, hello, we're here right. too. And what happens? What happens oh, to right. anybody that speaks their mind the what guillotine. Happened? The guillotine. The guillotine was just everybody. Right. Including Marie Antoinette. Royalty. Everybody went down with the guillotine. By the way, the fourth woman in that list is Molly Wollstonecraft, who Marta mentioned writes the Vindication of Rights of Women. So those are the four women. Four women. That do. In a list of 112. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. Only four. That's interesting. We did all of this, and then Marta and I wanted to follow up with just more women that were there because it's not just Jermaine, right? We did this at the end. If the point we're trying to make is that women have been there, it's just they were there. Oh, I guess so. I went to look up all the figures just to kind of get... I was trying to find Jermaine on a list, really. Like, I was trying to find where she was acknowledged to this day. Like, it's 2019 and we haven't corrected that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, she, we still got, what, like five good sources that mostly said the same thing. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's it's tough trying to find more information on Sophie Germain just because there's still obviously so much to uncover and we do have to rewrite the history books. Which is kind of what we're going for here. Also, to end this and this and this, we did want to kind of touch on Steph Curry, who, you know, Warriors MVP, if you will. I don't know if that's correct to say. Sports. He's Yes. He started a program. He did start yeah. a program. Um, so a little backstory on that is a nine-year-old wrote to Steph Curry kind of explaining how she thought it was a little sucky and unfair that his shoes that came out didn't come in women's sizes, so smaller sizes. And Steph Curry, and I'm sure Aisha Curry had a little something to do right, with a little shout out to <laughs> that he thought, hey, that's kind of not cool. Let me do something about that. And he came out with a new line that was offered with all sizes, which was beautiful. Yeah, he could have, you know, just been like, well, they're for boys. Right. Because that's such, that's just the argument is like, well, it's just been for it's guys. It's just always been for boys. And I think it was kind of cool for him to correct himself. And not only did he make new shoes and provided different sizes, he also through the profits of that shoe collection, started the scholarship for girls in STEM, mm -hmm. which is really cool. So every year he has a scholarship, and it goes out to all the girls. Also, we found Why So Few, 
So you can just kind of Google that. And it's a really important new study. And it's really a program that teaches about implicit bias, which again, I think can stand for more than just women, be even more than women of color, because fucking checking all the boxes there, you know. One thing I know we've talked about that Jermaine's life is, you know, for so many years been untalked about and stuff but now that we have more resources and we know more and we are trying to spread the word about women and how we've always been there by the way I think something that's really cool that came out of this was Jermaine's life and legacy is now also a musical oh yeah yeah so actually a couple of weeks ago if you're in 2019 London. if you're in London um The Limit created by Freya Katrine Smith and Jack Williams premiered a few weeks ago at the London Vault Festival. The musical sold out all four days. Creators of the musical hope it shines light on STEM education and of course women forgotten in history. On top of that, they made it a point to not have an all white, all male cast. Some of the male mathematicians like Lagrange and Poisson were played so by women, which I think is beautiful because it's kind of like a fu mm-hmm. and uh they also added people of color because no one wants to see an all-white cast and i think that's pretty freaking awesome it's so cool i'm just pulling it up as we talk about it there's a cool podcast called modern figures podcast again martin and i started uh, as you do when you learn of all these things you start yes. realizing that people talking about these things are out there and they're mm-hmm. just not really promoted so Modern Figures podcast is pretty cool. It is hosted by, let me pull it up, Dr. Kayla McMullen and Dr. Jeremy Waysome. And I think there's other revolving hosts, but it's people of color and then, you know, women of color and women in STEM and in medical fields and teaching and doing great things that, you know, it's just still seen it's still seen today as like a male profession, I think, because we are trying to get girls in, I think. Yeah. So I guess we can finish it by saying the important thing of moving forward is to acknowledge the past. Absolutely. Because if you pretend like another never happened, you can't move forward. Absolutely. And it's it's unfortunate that, you know, schools like Ecole Polytechnic, when they were the first schools to offer science, math, you know, Anything that mattered. Yes. You know? And today, that's STEM. This is the birth of STEM. This is the birth of STEM. And women were there. And it's unfortunate that women have always been there since the birth of STEM. Yet, 200 years later? 200 years later? later, 300 years later, it's still a male-dominated field. But But we're making strides. Yeah, we are. And it was really cool to learn about Sophie Germain. It's really cool. Mother and of STEM. Mother of STEM. Hidden, hidden One of the figure mothers. of STEM. Yes. Hidden figures of STEM. Full circle. Thank you again yes. for joining. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. We yeah. could talk about women all freaking day. I know. Martin has some really cool stuff going on. We're talking about like doing some more history things. Yeah. Look out. You know, I think one thing that I've taken away from this is the importance of spreading this education to the youth all power to all the people 
starting with the kiddos starting with the kiddos hopefully uh you know we'll be doing more future projects that are a little more kid friendly i know like sorry (laughs) that's awesome thank you for listening as always thank you to azua for the theme music which you've heard strung throughout this episode she's also a bay area artist bay area artist check her out azua music online and yeah this has been really cool it's been a cool couple weeks i know yeah oh and her birthday is on april 1st happy women's history month happy women's Women's history History month Month, right and you know happy birthday to sophie germain happy birthday Um, yeah thanks guys for listening we'll see you next time thank you bye